The LGBTQ plus community in the San Gabriel Valley is widespread but welcoming. We are many people from many different walks of life, and this podcast seeks to share in those differences. From Q Talk Radio and the San Gabriel Valley LGBTQ Center, welcome to Color Me Queer. Hello, 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 everybody. Welcome back to episode number four of Color Me Queer. You just listened to our gorgeous volunteer coordinator talk about nature calling us. My name is Camila Cameleon. My pronouns are she, her, and ella. And I am the badass president with the SGV LGBTQ Center. I currently sit on our board of directors. I run a couple of the peer support groups with our team as well. But most importantly is I sit with the fabulous team, what we call our board of directors, doing some badass work, essentially guiding our strategic plan For today's show, we have the gorgeous, the incomparable, the amazing, one and only Christian Port, my current vice president for the San Gabriel Valley LGBTQ Plus Center Board of Directors. Without further ado, let's go ahead and pass the mic over, Christian. What's up? Hello. Tell the folks who you are, and let's start there. Camilla. Oh, my gosh. Hi, girl. First of all, you look incredible tonight i heard you had a super hot drag gig how did it go i did i just got done performing while i was hosting a drag show for cal state university dominguez hills so anybody hearing this podcast and is wondering can we book her yes book me and if you have a budget even better (laughs) yes give her all of your money yes and if not (laughs) give the center all of our money (laughs) Please give us all of your money. Absolutely. <laughs> well, joking aside, Camilla, first of all, thank you so much for having me. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Christian. My pronouns are he, him. I currently serve as the vice president of the San Gabriel Valley LGBTQ Center, as uh, Camilla mentioned. Her and I are both gauchos. What up, UCSB? For all you gauchos out there, um, major yeah, snaps. Come through blue and gold. Um, <laughs> and uh, I have my uh, my master's in public administration from the USC Price School of Public Policy. What I always like to say is that I'm a Trojan on the weekdays and a gaucho on the weekends. Um, <laughs> right. And um, I work for an organization that you might have heard of before. It's a little tiny um, nonprofit called Planned Parenthood. Um, and yeah just a little one um you know nobody pays attention to us at all we got we got no attention during the trump administration whatsoever right now joking aside um i i work for a local affiliate here in the greater los angeles county area um in uh, pasadena and the san gabriel valley i oversee our business development um for about 24 cities within the greater um, northeast los angeles area and the san gabriel valley and i've been with the organization for about eight years now thank you christian for talking a bit about where you've been what you've done and currently what is the work that you do at planned parenthood i'm don't you know we're definitely gonna expand more on that as we do our conversation today So the first question that I do have for you, and I think it'll touch all of the L.A. natives who are born and bred here. How has living and growing up in L.A. played a part of your story? 
I mean, it is my story. I, you know, I like to say that we're unicorns. Um, and you're one of them, too, because you grew up in Baldwin Park, right? I was born and raised, um, yep. you know, mid-city yep. Los Angeles. I was born at Cedar sinai um, I am an 80s baby, so I'm what they call an elder millennial, um, and <laughs> which is like, okay, whatever. Um, yeah, that we can get into the whole skinny jeans debate later. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, I was a a kid that was born to teen parents in LA in the mid 80s, right? I was an 86 baby. Um, you know, my mom was 17 when she had me and she was kind of like a goth punk rocker, very Susie and the Banshees. Um, my dad wasn't in the picture until I was a bit older. Um, so I kind of always had that sort of awareness um, ever since I was young that I was a little bit different. Um and then, you know, going to school in, in L.A., you know, as a little kid in the, the early 90s, kind of seeing everything, um, you know, that was happening um, in L.A. around um, the, the Rodney King riots definitely informed my experience as a young kid. Um, I went to schools where, you know, I was oftentimes one of the only white kids and all of my friends were were black and um, AAPI until, you know, I was a little bit older and moved out to the burbs. Um, so growing up around that, um, the O.J. Simpson's trial, uh, the the AIDS crisis and kind of seeing the impact of that in L.A. as a kid, all of that was top of mind for me sort of as I was exploring my own identity, um, figuring out who I was. Um, and then certainly, you know, as I became a teenager, there were things like Matthew Shepard happened. Um, you know, homophobia was was a real, like, very real present thing, even in a metropolitan city like L.A. during that time. Um, and out in the burbs, I was, you know, in the San Fernando Valley for junior high and high school, um, you know, which is its own experience, too. Yeah, and thank you so much for also talking about these historical moments that you've lived through, you know, the ways in which the Rodney King riots and the ways in which just your geos geospatial location has advised maybe the way that you live, the way that you walk, and also maybe some of the work that you center these days. So I'm curious, where do, what does your activism center? And, you know, and maybe within these historical accounts that you've lived of, how has it re uh, been reflective of the work that you currently do? I mean, well, to start, I would say that, you know, so much of my like personal and professional activism has been around the intersection of LGBTQ issues. That's always been sort of a number one thing for me, really since high school. Um, you know, I was a teenager kind of like in the early aughts. And that was a time where we had freaking, you know, George W. And we were dealing with, you know, all of this nonsense around you know, same-sex marriage bans, um, you know, that's where, you know, I was going to some of my first protests when I was in high school, protesting against the Iraq War, um, fighting for undocumented rights. I had plenty of friends going to LA Unified Schools that were the children of undocumented parents, um, you know, and I remember going downtown on May Day in high school and seeing Minutemen with guns, like, standing and yelling at us and, you know, calling us all kinds of things and and all of that um, kind of, you know, insanity. But what I found really early on was that I had a voice and a unique experience 
Um, and I felt really called to action. So by the time I went to UCSB, I mean, as you know, girl, UCSB has such a strong history of activism and rising up. And, um, you know, especially, you know, during that time of, you know, the the era of Bush and watching, you know, our rights, you know, being splayed out on the table and dissected in such insane ways. Um, and then during that time when I was in Santa Barbara, I also worked um, for student affairs, as you know, for a really long time um, doing disability policy. So number one, shout out to all my student affairs folks out there. Um, y'all are doing the good work, standing up and providing services for people. Always has a place in my heart. Um, but you know, just constantly like advocating for students, advocating against faculty and administration that didn't even want to provide services for college students, PhD students, you know, with disabilities. What you know, that sort of sparked my interest in change making. Um, and which is why I went back to school to get my master's in policy because I wanted to make change and you know, make that good trouble. Yes. And I love the way you say make that good trouble. And I would also say I love the way in which your what your story also talks about is of this middle population of folks who identify as maybe older millennials. I love to use the word yelders as well, because people like to use that term <laughs> elders, but I think it's you're so young. So it's like the young elder role. So I love what you're also talking about is the way in which um, through your own experiences, you've been able to maybe showcase some form of a role model of what you would have loved to see growing up. So is there a way that you can maybe touch on um, how some of this badass work might have enticed you or has encouraged you to continue going? Yeah, I mean, to your point, I didn't really have any you know strong role models growing up. I was a first generation college student. Um, I started taking care of myself when I was 17 years old. I put myself through undergrad and grad school on my own. Um, my my father, you know, struggled with addiction for most of of his life, for most of my life. Um, and you know, I'd watched him go through that, and I'd um, you know watched my you know parents as very emotionally you know stunted people who um, ultimately I think never sort of faced their own fears, figured it out on their own. Um, so I was really left in a place where I had to be very independent and I sort of had to blaze that trail on on my own and seek out peers and mentors that would really support me through that. So I've had so many incredible um, mentors along the way. And like you mentioned elders, like I, I've had so many queer elders that have really um, you know, helped guide me, um, you know, through so much of this, encouraged me um, to go on and to trailblaze. And, you know, it was extremely challenging. And I think this is why, um, you know, one of the reasons why we see so many people in our community struggle with, um, you know, uh, mental health. Um, you know, it's this we it was almost like our generation we missed out on that ability to to have have mentors. I mean, so many were lost to HIV and AIDS and it kind of left this generational gap. And I think now, um, you know, for folks our age, we're starting to see that and starting to realize that, like, we kind of had to do it on our own. 
but like we mentored ourselves and we can be good mentors to other people too. And so like I see all these beautiful things happening like um, my friend Jacob started an organization called Rainbow Labs that's all about youth mentorship because he saw huge gaps in what was happening um, in LGBTQ mentorship programs. I mean, few and far between. And how important is that? Um, one of the things that I'll touch on later, you know, when we talk about my work more with with Planned Parenthood is, um, you know, all of the work that we've done around engaging LGBTQ plus youth. And really, you know, what really sparked my interest in that work, because I do so much in the innovation space at Planned Parenthood, um, was a stat that I saw from the UCLA Williams Institute a couple of years ago. And if y'all don't know who they Not are, bad. you need to look them up right now. Um, but that, yeah, so you know this study, we've talked about it before, which is that um, 27% of youth in California identify as non-binary or gender fluid or gender non-conforming or somewhere on the LGBTQ spectrum. And like, as we sort of, you know, as a social, you know, paradigm, as we start to deconstruct gender and sexuality even more, there's going to be more and more people sort of identifying in new ways and they deserve to be respected and honored and they deserve to have access to all of these things too. Um, and they need that support and encouragement, um, you know, especially during this time, you know, right now. And, you know, Pride Month has been really sort of a bizarre experience for me personally, because on the one hand, it's like we finally have some damn rainbow lights back on at the White House um, you know, like every single company and their mother won't stop trying to sell us rainbow shit. I don't know if I can cuss on here, but I just said rainbow shit. So sorry. Um, and at the same time, like the Equality Act is getting blocked up in, in Congress by Mitch McConnell, um, who I have a good name for Mitch, but I won't say it because it's also a swear word. Um, but it starts with a B. Um, and it should end with a big F you. But anyway. <laughs> yes. And, you know, I love that you grabbed the mic right now and you just said it like it is, which I think is the basis of our podcast. It really allows us to maybe talk about these unfiltered conversations about this larger realm of LGBTQness within this realm of public policy and also within the literally within the realm of the public state. You know, our the work at our SGV LGBTQ Center, one of the main lines we always um, live and work by is we vow to acknowledge the, the world that we live in. And if we weren't talking about maybe the ways in which LGBTQ folks aren't seen as basic humans, I would say, then we're not really talking about the reality of what it looks like to get stopped by policy, what it looks like to get stuck under all of this litigation, and what it looks like to feel not feel heard, right, in this larger narrative, but at the same time still be the most, I would say, the most amplified point of debate for people. Like, you know, if, if y'all don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all, right? <laughs> so, um, yeah. A hundred percent. But to your point, this is why, I mean, I have been so impressed by and so supportive of uh -huh. your leadership as a queer woman of color and as a queer trans woman of color, because like, 
that that is real. What you just said is so real. Like we're not getting enough of that representation. And it's like, depending on where you live, you live in like two, one of two very different United States of America. And so on the one hand, it's like, right, everyone's trying to sell me a branded pride image. Like I'm getting like rainbow keels, like rainbow, like Target, rainbow, like literally Shake Shack. Like I don't want a rainbow milkshake. Like what I want is the Equality Act. And (laughs) what's happening is like there's this like corporatized bizarro pride thing that's happening this year. And it's like they're trying to sell us things while they're taking our rights away. And and that's what I'm not down with. And and like I the moment that you ask a lot of these, you know, companies, you, you know, corporate America to support, yes. they run away. They pull out. I mean, LA Pride is the perfect example of that. Like the moment LA Pride shifted from a corporate party parade to saying, hey, we want to get back to our movement-based roots and advocate for equality and change, all of them were like, hey, bye, we're out of here. (laughs) There goes the money. Good luck next year. So, um, you know, it's, it's a really bizarre, you know, sort of place to be right now where on the one hand, you know, we're, we're holding on to progress that we have made. And there has been some, you know, really incredible, you know, strides taken in terms of employee protections and things like that. But on the other hand, like, you see how much is actually at stake right now. And it's a really sort of unnerving place to be in terms of our movement. And so that's where I'm sort of like, you know, (laughs) you know, what's the next move? Like, what do we need to be doing? Um, And I was going to say that I love what you're also talking about is that that whole where do we start, you know, where 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 do we start, you know, and I think as folks who left for college and came back to the L.A., what I, I'm curious if you can touch on is how did you start your work when you first moved back to L.A.? Like what did what was the young Christian who just got this bachelor's degree doing? Um, I'm curious. You know, it was wild because when I I first went back to to grad school to go from a place like, you know, Santa Barbara that was so open and free and, you know, inclusive, and then to go to an environment like, you know, (laughs) USC, which I think USC has come a long way since then. But when I I went back to school in in 2012, I mean, I, I went to the policy school and there was no... LGBTQ policy representation, you know, in any of the work that we were doing at that time. And so I made it kind of my personal mission to kind of plant like a big old rainbow flag in the sand and be like, hey, like, I'm going to make this happen here. So I started connecting with a lot of alumni that were really, you know, engaged with the work. And so through that, I started doing a lot of volunteer work with LA Pride, the National LGBTQ Task Force. I later became a founder, a founding member of the steering committee um, in Los Angeles for the National LGBTQ Task Force um, to really help build that that presence and connect people to the the national policy issues that affect us as queer people. Because I wasn't seeing so much of that in LA. I mean, there's your HRCs, of course that are doing, you know, some of the work, but that's not the end all be all, right? Like we know so much of this work is still old school boots on the ground. 
And that's the work that we're doing, you know, at our LGBT center, you know, building culture change across the San Gabriel Valley. And I think that's sort of, you know, the direction and the trend that we're going to see too, and not just in terms of our movement, but also in terms of opposition movements. And you see this happening, um, you know, um, in the reproductive rights space as well, where you have, you know, cities co-opting, like you have anti-women's health cities co-opting sanctuary city language and calling themselves sanctuaries for life. And so I'm just waiting for there to be anti-trans, you know, anti-gay, anti-lesbian, anti-bisexual, like, sanctuary city nonsense happening, too. Um, So um, it's just, it goes to show how important it is to still have these conversations, um, to still be engaging in this dialogue to to move things forward, because, um, you know, there there are people trying to take away our rights in this country that are doing the same thing. So that was a roundabout way of kind of getting to to what you wanted to get to, which was how did all of that sort of take me to where I am? And the answer to that is that um, through all of this work, uh, you know, everything kept coming back to Planned Parenthood as an organization. And I was like, why is this happening? This is very bizarre. Um, I don't really understand the intersections here. Like, um, you know, I know they're an abortion provider, um, but um, no, there's so much more. And obviously, they've been a safe space for the LGBTQ community for decades and decades. Um, So much of the past, um, you know, uh, century and also this century. And I've I've seen this incredible shift. And so when I was completing my master's degree It was right when the Affordable Care Act was going into law. And so for the first time, we were going to have protections in healthcare and access to healthcare. And I was so intrigued by all of that and and learning, you know, how much it impacted the LGBTQ community and how much of that work Planned Parenthood was doing. So I went to work for our local CEO. Sherry Bonner in in Pasadena in the San Gabriel Valley. And Sherry was the first, you know, person at Planned Parenthood Pasadena that, you know, got them to do HIV testing. Like they weren't doing that before she got there. And so I was like, she's a boss. I want to talk to her more. I want to get on board with this. And she was like, listen, I need a ride or die. Let's go. And (laughs) and so I jumped on board and it's been a wild ride ever since. And it's been incredible because I really feel like over the past, you know, um, eight years or so from, you know, the early 2010s until now that Planned Parenthood has shifted from being a quote unquote women's rights organization. That always cracks me up whenever like I'm reading the news and they're like, Planned Parenthood, the women's rights organization. And I'm like, okay, girl, <laughs> we are a lot of things that that might be like one of the like 500 things we are, but <laughs> we're a healthcare education and advocacy organization. And we've shifted from, you know, sort of that, um, you know, misconception to really being understood as that inclusive provider that is providing totally comprehensive sexual and reproductive health care to everyone, gender inclusive, sexuality inclusive, like you name it. So that's so much of the work that I've been doing. And the reason that I started doing it here is because I saw incredible, incredible gaps 
in that access to care in freaking L.A., like in the 21st century in Los Angeles. And I'm finding out that like 75 percent of trans people have no health, no usual source of health care. You can say what? that as well. <laughs> like that was it was completely unacceptable to me. And then those that did have health care faced severe discrimination, like more than 50 percent had experienced yeah. some sort of discrimination or like freaking micro, not even micro, let's say macro aggressions in accessing like care with dignity and respect. So I was like, screw that. I'm changing that. And so I like went to my you know leadership and was like, hey, like we need to start doing all of this. Um, I remember one day um, and this is, I think, really what that sort of pivotal moment was. I had a coworker come to me and she was crying. She came into my office and I, I asked her what was up. And she said, you know, I just um, helped a trans man who was sexually assaulted get an abortion. And mm. when we were able to get him in for an appointment, he cried and said that this was the first time that he mm. was respected when he went to a doctor and had never experienced that feeling of being mm-hmm. seen in healthcare. And that's, that was that moment for me when I was like, Oh, this is like, you know, like my Stella got her groove back moment where I was like, I'm, you know, we're doing this thing, like this is happening. And so we started with um, HIV prevention services with prep and pep because I started seeing that there were so many young people um, contracting HIV when, you know, it's you think of it as this preventable thing that, you know, people are still aren't, you know, aren't getting HIV anymore and all of that. And and they are. And it's and what's interesting is like they weren't even, you know, necessarily all, you know, LGBTQ plus people, just people, young people. This was happening to. And so. And then I found out how few providers there were, and there were none in the San Gabriel Valley. And I found that, like, most people in the San Gabriel Valley that were getting prep were, surprise, shocker, gay white dudes driving all the way to the L.A. LGBT Center to get it. Um, And this was before, I mean, now it's a lot more accessible than it was back then, for sure. But at that time, it was just like, it was unacceptable, so when we did, you know, some some research and community health needs assessments, we saw that people were driving more than 70, 80 miles round yeah. trip, waiting six to eight weeks for appointments to get hormones, to get prep, all of that. So when we decided to, um, you know, because our prep and pep programs were so successful, um, we started building a lot of rapport with the local LGBTQ community. Um I started conducting focus groups with trans people. And so we brought people in and I would show them, you know, pictures of clinics and and ask them, you know, what makes you feel honored and respected? Like when you come into a health center, what do you want to see when you walk in the door? How do you want the provider to greet you? What is triggering to you? You know, all of those questions and just got real talk with them about, you know, with, with people about what issues they were experiencing in their lives. And I was horrified at the health disparities that were going on in yeah. the city that I grew up in. So as soon as we launched the program, I mean, we've had a, a steady patient panel that's been filled at like over 500 patients. And so we're continuing, yeah, we're continuing to grow it and, and, you know, even adding in, you know, continuously more and more 
services. Planned Parenthood got rid of this well women's exam, and now we do full well well persons physical exams, all bodies. You know, like every everything has changed about the the experience, and so it's been really incredible to get to be a part of that change and see the direct impact of it in within the communities that I serve in the communities that I know. Wow. Thank you so much for talking a bit about the work that you started with Planned Parenthood. I would also say as someone who just last week had the privilege of being next to you and Sherry at the first flag raising over at Huntington Hospital for the LGBTQ plus progress plight. I, I was wondering where that relationship started and just thinking about this young version of Christian who I know um, was probably just looking for work, you know, looking for work that'll sing to your heart but also understanding that there is a, there's a passion within you, Christian, that I've known for many years now that understands that this work is larger than you and it has always been larger than you. And it's understanding that um, through the health service centers that are being offered, we can even advise that we just opened up this year uh, the first ever Baldwin Park Planned Parenthood. And there has never been a Planned Parenthood in Baldwin Park in my little hood where I'm from. And so really thinking about like the number of services that are being offered, the number of direct services, and also the ways in which we've formed a partnership with the, the Planned Parenthood of San Gabriel Valley. I think it speaks to the bridge building that you do and also the ways in which you found yourself in all of these different spaces. And I'm sure people are curious and they would like to know, how, how did you find yourself um, from all of the work that you've done in the past transferring over to becoming a part of the SGV LGBTQ Center Board of Directors? First of all, Camilla, thank you so much, you know, just for your kind words. And I mean, I, I think the same of you and I see that spirit of, of leadership and compassion and, and empathy and you're a visionary person and you lead with your heart and it shows. And I think that that's been a huge part of this work too. And why it's just, you know, pure joy to get to work with you on mm. all of this. And I think to your point about, you know, like the young version of me that kind of was like stumbling through all of it, trying to figure it out. I think it's because like having had that experience and, you know, seeing a lot of youth today kind of move through that same trajectory. Like, I want to pay that forward. I want to be there to support them. I want to be there to support our communities. Um, and that is really, I think, what my my life's work comes down to is like being that change agent. Um, I think that's been so important to me. So, I mean, the work when, you know, it was interesting because I kept running into our founder, Aaron, Aaron signs everywhere. <laughs> and it was like, there was this like, no, we're absolutely not surprised because Aaron is everywhere at all times. He's probably under this <laughs> desk right now. Um, and it was like, there was so much synchronicity there in terms of the vision of the center and the vision work that we were doing at Planned Parenthood that I was supporting the leadership team with. And so it was like, just this instantaneous partnership where we're like, yeah, I see you. I get you. Let's do this. We're in it together. Um, and and I think that that's that sort of intersectional partnership is what makes both movements so much stronger. 
because everything is interconnected. And so what's interesting is that like we started doing this work together years ago, but it's really this year that we've seen this incredible domino effect that like we finally hit this critical mass yeah. that really has resulted in this like paradigm shift where all of a sudden we've seen more cities have their historic moment of their first ever pride ceremony. We now have seven cities that have issued proclamations in the San Gabriel Valley. So many of them that like, I would be like, oh, that's a red pass through town. Like, I'm not even going to go get a Diet Coke or get gas there. I will go to the next one. And they're like, oh, we're here for you. Like, it's wild. It is wild. But this is the work. This is the culture change work. This is why we're doing this. And it feeds so well into our campaign, Mm -hmm. Building Pride, which really, um, you know, we've been talking about more and more, but we're really starting to see that this actually happened, which is like building that movement here locally, realizing that like LGBTQ people exist everywhere (laughs) that like. It's not just it's not just West Hollywood. Surprise! Like um, that, there's like 10 million people in the greater LA area. LA County has 88 cities. Guess how many of them have LGBTQ people? All of them do. Like surprise, shocker, <laughs> spoiler alert. We everywhere, and we need to be seen. We need to be acknowledged and respected. And we're we're make finally making strides there. So that's building pride. And so we've launched a campaign to help us fundraise so we can establish a permanent home in the San Gabriel Valley. We've been so fortunate that so many cities have offered up their support this year. It's incredible. So for so coming out of this, the big old panty is what I like to call the pandemic. Um, coming out of the pandemic, that we now have cities that will be able to host you know, all of our programming, peer support groups, social events for LGBTQ plus people in person is incredible. But we know ultimately we need physical centers so that people feel have a safe space, feel seen, have places they can go where they can get the services and resources that they need anytime that they need them and and have it be their own protected space. And so that's really what is driving this and the direction that we're continuing to go in as we become, you know, a larger organization because you know, um after a certain point, you know, we're fortunate to have so many incredible passionate volunteers, but we want bricks and mortar, we want staff, we want people to be acknowledged and respected and paid for the work that they do. And so that's what we're setting out to achieve right now. Um, And that's so much of what the vision and the mission of my work at Planned Parenthood, Pasadena and San Gabriel, I can't even talk anymore, San Gabriel Valley, San Gabriela Valley, uh, (laughs) is like a a place, like a, a, a society that respects and honors all people that you know, promotes honest and proud sexuality that is inclusive of all genders. That is the work that we're doing in the healthcare space, in the education space. And that connects so perfectly to the work 
that we're doing with the LGBT. Thank you, Christian. And thank you for today's podcast episode for talking a bit about your origin story, a bit about your legacy story, for talking a bit about this next chapter that we're on, our Building Pride campaign, and the way in which we want to be able to fund our own center, our own brick and mortar building. And with that as well, also have a space for us, by us, and through community, for community, and by community. So just a lot of snaps, a lot of love, and a lot of affirmations for there. I have one last question for you, which is the question we ask all of our hosts that come on to our podcast. We ask everyone this question, which is, if you were to describe your aura, what color would it be? I love that. Honestly, immediate gut without even batting an eyelash, it's it's green. It's maybe Maybe it's like a blue-green because I am an outdoor, crazy nature, like, hippie, queer lover, and I like to run around the forest outside um, and do crazy outdoor adventure stuff. I love That's that. I love that. Bearish sensibility. <laughs> for those of you who might be listening to this and are curious, Christian is wearing a white t-shirt with the colors proud and it has a rainbow. It says proud Planned Parenthood. <laughs> I think it's to be a part of their uh, swag that they have this year. And most importantly, Christian, if folks are interested in maybe connecting with you further about work with the SJV Center, a grant possibility or any other, could you please give them your contact information? Yeah, absolutely. So please, please, please uh, email me. Uh, it's very easy. It's Christian at sgvlgbtq.org. You can also find me on uh, LinkedIn. I try to steer clear of most of the other socials. So uh, old fashioned is best. <laughs> Thank you, Christian, so much for being a part of our next podcast. We are so excited to get this out and to be recording this after a monumental seven proclamations have been released in support of June as Pride Month. Our SGV LGBTQ Center Board of Directors um, appreciates you. I appreciate you. I know our volunteers appreciate you. But most importantly, we look forward to the rest of the badass work that we're going to be doing this year, next year, and for the many years to come. Yes, and that was our episode of Color Me Queer with Christian Port. We look forward to seeing you all on our next episode. Stay fabulous, stay fly, and remember to visit colormequeer.com for all the show notes. And that is all for today. See you all later. Bye. Camila out.